0: Gina? Yes? You got me for two hours. Two hours? Then I'll do anything you want me to do. Anything? Do you think you could clean my house? What?
1: Thank you very much for the sex worker you sent to my home. But if I want that, I will find it in my own marriage.
0: Can you get the light? No, no. You know you haven't remembered my birthday for five years. There was a restructure. I'm sorry. I mean, she's right guys. It's not like any of us singles are getting any.
1: Contrary to appearances, we haven't given up on sex. And we're sick of cleaning the house. Sounds amazing, actually. Having a man clean your house? There are a lot of women who really like the thought of a man
0: cleaning their house. And I think they'll pay for it. Well, for cleaning or for sex? I would like to make an offer on the removals company, please, to move here. Well, you can help us. We clean houses and, you know, and and give orgasms.
1: Um, Obviously, there must be a minimum of one orgasm. (laughs) Excuse me, are you the one with the suit? Heard it's very good. He gets into every crevice. If I'm paying for it, I want lots of edging. Ease towards it, then back on. A delicious lead up, and
0: then (sighs) total annihilation. Women are quite tricky to please. They all seem to say completely different things. What if he doesn't like me? Why do you think he wouldn't like you? I might have to forget myself
1: to get started. You know, I think you were here to remember yourself.
0: Your job is to give orgasms. It's not actually illegal. We checked. We are fulfilling a need. For all
1: those women who feel sexually invisible. Yes. Sex,
0: Sex. pleasure, integrity, discretion. Best ever route you get all year. I thought we were all going around. Yeah, integrity's good. That's the trailer for How to Please a Woman. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eales. In this episode, I'm joined by How to Please a Woman writer and director Renee Webster. Great Australian comedies are few and far between. If you were to ask the average Joe on the street what their favourite Australian comedy is, there's a very high chance they will tell you it's The Castle. They'd be right, it's probably the greatest Australian comedy of all time. But it was made 25 years ago. Other great Australian comedies have been made since The Castle, of course. Films like Crackers, Kenny, and more recently, Judy and Punch and Rams. But other than Kenny, it's hard to think of another Australian comedy that hit like The Castle did back in 1997. Here's an example of how few and far between great Australian comedies are. We're currently five months into 2022, and Renee Webster's How to Please a Woman is about to release this week. Not only is it the funniest Australian film this year... It's probably the funniest since Rams all the way back in 2020. How to Please a Woman is a genuine gut-busting laugh fest. As I tell Renee during this interview, I've seen it three times now and I'm recommending it to everyone. The film follows Gina, played by Sally Phillips, a 50-something woman who develops a business idea to launch an all-male house cleaning service. However, when her business grows out of control, she must acknowledge her own appetite if she is to make a new life for herself. The film has had advanced screenings around Australia, including here in Perth, where it's screened at the Perth International Arts Festival, the WA Made Film Festival, and its own gala night at Luna Cinemas, and people are loving it. How to Please a Woman is Renee Webster's first feature film. In this interview, Renee tells us about developing the script and her process for writing comedy, which I found fascinating. She also talks about working with her cast, shooting in Fremantle and much more. I had a lot of fun getting to know Renee through this interview and I hope you will too. She's going to go a long way. Uh, The next you'll be able to see her work is uh, ABC's Aftertaste, not Afterlife, which I call it during this interview, but I do correct myself. Um, how to please a woman is in cinemas from may 19 and my hope for this film is that it hits just as hard as the castle did all the way back in 1997 and that people will talk about it for many years to come it certainly deserves it anyway enjoy renee webster thank you very much for joining the cinema australia podcast it's great to be chatting with you
1: Oh, thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, yeah, I've been lucky enough to see How to Please a Woman three times now, and uh, it really is one of those films that gets better with every viewing. Uh, Would you agree with that? Have you seen it a few times as well, I I, I suppose?
1: Oh, I've seen it uh, so many times. Thank you for saying that. Um, And I I think I had that thing that most filmmakers will experience where it's you know you really can't see the wood for the trees for a long time it feels like that when you're editing Um, and then there's a break when you finish and deliver the film uh, and after that break you see it with an audience and um, uh, that's like a whole different viewing all over again that's that's an extraordinary experience
0: yeah that's right and uh, the first time i watched it i saw it as this world-class comedy uh, you know full of laughs and uh, these laugh out loud moments the second time I watched it, I saw it with my wife and the two of us watched it together. And uh, I saw this, uh, I saw a much greater emotional depth to it and to these main yeah. characters. And then the third time I watched it was in a full packed auditorium with this very large audience. And there's nothing quite like riding those motions with a full, uh, a full cinema. Um, it truly is a very special film and I'm encouraging everyone to see it when it comes out in May. So congratulations again on this one.
1: Oh, thank you. That's amazing you saw it in those three different ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was an interesting experience, actually, because I don't often watch films more than once so close together, but it just so happened that I was having How to Please a Woman thrown at me at all these different ways. So um, yeah. actually, okay. I'm not sure if you know, but I'm also the festival director of the WA Made Film Festival. And uh, oh, so, okay. yeah, so I programmed this film as our opening night film uh, in March, um, which also included a Q&A with. Uh, producer Tanya Chambers and uh, we had Caroline Brazier and Miles Pollard there. The response from the audience was amazing. Uh, We had some great questions um, and a few people told us that they had also seen the film a few times now following screenings at uh, the Perth International Arts Festival, etc. It it must be nice to know that people are going back and, and seeing it for a second time.
1: Oh, it's really exciting to think that people will see it a second time. Um, And the audience reach has been really interesting. This is a film that's pitched as, um, you know, it's a very female-focused film. But what we're also hearing is men recommending the film to other men, um, suggesting that they, um, suggesting it as a date night, so, um, you know, as a good date night movie. So its reach is meant to be big. You know, I, I look after the male characters and stories in the film, so... It's terrific to hear that. It was really interesting, actually, when we first opened the film. our opening night was actually the second night for a number of reasons. We had more of a gala and a q and a. So the first night, um, when it played to an um, an audience of one thousand people, mm. uh, I sort of just slunk in under the radar. No one knew who I was. I didn't really know it wasn't, you know a cinema audience where I knew who a lot of the people were. They were genuinely just people who were going out to see a movie and that was a really uh, fantastic way to experience the film in an audience and to feel the way it worked for them.
0: What, so what was the most interesting uh, audience reaction that you had to the film or once you did start doing the Q&As and, and interacting more with the crowds?
1: Um, I think people are surprised how much it moves them. Yes. So they they come in expecting a comedy. But when I originally had the idea for this film, I always wanted it to be a powerful comedy. Mm. So, um, um, you know, you could kind of feel the audience um, get more than what they were expecting to from the movie, and that's something you really want to... Well, I, I always really love to try and do as a filmmaker. So, you know, that was fantastic. But then you start to hear the little stories filter back. So um, from people who know me, um, what would happen is people, their friends who knew that they had a connection to the filmmaker started to tell them all their personal stories. Wow,
0: <laughs> interesting. And responses to the film.
1: Um, so, um, and that was really interesting. I think what it did for people is it opened up conversations after the movie and opened up conversations between couples at home. Yes um and you know that's exciting
0: mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting because um as we said before this is this it is a very funny comedy uh, but there are these, you know, layers of drama in it as well. But, yeah, again, it wasn't until afterwards that I really clicked with that drama. Um, you've done such an amazing job here. And uh, this is your first feature film following a stack of uh, uh, TV commercials, uh, a couple of shorts and uh, TV episodes. Is it a relief for you now to finally have that feature film in the can?
1: Completely. You know, I've been wanting to make a feature film, it feels like, for my whole life. Yeah. Uh, So what happens if you've been wanting to make one for a long time is you get and when you get to that point of realising that you're probably going to get to shoot this one, you have such a lot to say. (laughs) So I had such a lot to say in this film and I I, I had to just be careful not to try and say all of it. Um, But the the other thing is when you make a feature film for the first time, um, it's, it's tricky because when you're casting, no one knows who you are. Uh, it, you really need your support of your producer to get behind the film. So, first, so yes, it, it is. Um, uh, I just feel less relieved. I feel really joyful to have been able to make this film. It's an immense privilege. But also, stepping forward now, as a filmmaker, when you make your first film, You know, directors, what um, defines a director, I think, is really the tone of the work. Um, And it's hard for people to really understand what a tone is until they experience it. So I've been able to make something that has a particular tone. Um, And um, from, from, you know, from here, who knows?
0: (laughs) Is, Is comedy something that you've always been interested in?
1: You know, comedy is really... Uh, I never um, intentionally go for comedy. I mean, you asked earlier what were the surprises. What you know, what was the surprise in the reaction I found with an audience? And you know, one of my answers were all the little stories that came back about how it did impact people a bit. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize people would find it that funny, actually. Really? Um, so I, I, um, and in when we were shooting the film. I was, you know, I kind of labelled myself the fun police because I stopped the cast all the time from playing jokes and making things funny. I really just kept, I just wanted to keep their intentions, you know, the the character's intention clear because I felt that, I thought that there would be enjoyment and a kind of warmth and humour from it. So when I sat in the audience and people were um, laughing uncontrollably, it was... um, you know, it was it actually was a huge shock. It was, it was completely shocking. I, I, didn't, I didn't
0: see that coming, actually. Wow, that's very, very interesting to learn. I want to talk to you then a bit about your writing process. Um, but before I do, uh, I didn't learn until after watching the film that this was inspired by a true story. Uh, can you take us back to the moment you first came across this story and uh, the moment you realised you wanted to make it into a film?
1: Well, it, I mean, it was a jump-off point. It's it's this is not a film <laughs> that is based on um, a series of true events. It, I learned about a company. I read about a company in Australia who provides sexual who provided um, initially um, sexual services for heterosexual women, um, and I was really interested to. So, I, you know, I was reading about them, and it was very interesting because these women who ran the company described themselves as housewives, um, which is very different to uh, what is commonly perceived as how the sex industry works. So I uh, I reached out to them and um, spoke to them at length and in depth and found out as much as I could about the. So I had sort of questions, and one of the questions that was in my mind were... Who are your clients? You know, who are these women who are choosing to pay for sex and why are they choosing to pay for a sexual experience? Um, And, again, what I uncovered were really unexpected stories that were incredibly human, incredibly relatable. Uh, And, you know, you can feel it when something is that interesting that there's really good material there. Mm. So it was a case of kind of taking that material and trying to shape shape a story from it in a way this could be a really dark story a lot of the a lot of the um, women who chose to use that sexual service needed to have a sexual experience that might allow them to heal or to feel safe and those are really important stories but I didn't want to make a dark or serious film I wanted to make a film that would reach as many people as possible so a real kind of cornerstone of this work of this movie is despairing about housework and I feel that a lot of people despair about housework. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then it was a way of trying to create a perfect storm from all those ingredients, and that took a while. You know, that took um, that took years of honing and drafting mm. the uh, the screenplay.
0: Yeah. So so you mentioned that you spoke to uh, those people who own that business. Were you put in touch with any of the clients to to get their stories, or, or was it or, or just strictly the the owners of the business?
1: Uh, only the owners of the business. I don't think it would have been appropriate for me to be reaching out <laughs> to their clients. Yes,
0: to their clients.
1: Um, they, but they were. They could share the stories with me. Yes. Um, so I knew those were real stories. You know, I pay attention to the conversations that happen around me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the things that are in that movie come from somewhere that is truthful or real. Yes. Um, you know, there are. There is. There is the the premise of the film, which is about combining um, housework and sexual services. That is a thing that I made up, mm. uh, which was a, f- a really fun way I thought to explore the story. But um, you know, all those little all those little stories and experiences that come out of, that that are in the movie have come from somewhere.
0: Yes, yes. Um, when I was speaking to Tanya Chambers, she mentioned that uh, a lot of those stories might have come from a few people who you were working with on the film, some people on set. Uh, I'm pretty sure Tanya said one of those stories that they speak about in the film was her story.
1: Yeah, there's lots of things in there, you know, so I'm the person you have to be careful (laughs) about when it's 3am in the morning and you're drunk and you're telling them things because they they go in the (laughs) vault and and they come out in some form or another. So I admit I look at that film and there are some little scenes in there that come from conversations that I have been a part of five years ago or longer um, that have been, you know, reinvented in a way, but but came from somewhere real.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm very interested to know about your writing process and it's interesting how you said dear, a lot of the comedy in this film, you didn't intend to to be so funny. Can, can you tell us a bit about uh, balancing that drama and comedy in the script form?
1: Uh, I think when you, I mean, when you write a script... We all know as filmmakers that you want to keep the script as lean as possible and the craft in comedy is keeping it lean so it's just funny to read so you're not actually describing the humour. If you have to write things and describe them in a funny way, it's probably not funny enough. It should it should in a skeletal form feel funny. Um, so I, I just... um you know just responding creatively to that um so answering that question from a creative place in terms of my process I'm never looking for funny I'm never trying for it um and I'm never kind of reaching for comedy I just write things that I want to enjoy and if I'm not enjoying it um then I um I either cut it or I you know try and improve it but I'm yeah I I really don't don't try very hard to be funny. So now it's going to be tricky, right? Because people will look at me as a comedy filmmaker. Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, so yeah. And um, yeah, it just comes from a place of, you know, I like to be amused when I'm writing something, and and something should feel entertaining. I really enjoy that. It's a very kind of, it's a very delicate balance. It's a very kind of narrow place you can work in, which is this kind of intersection of um, discomfort. Yes. So it's very that feels very risky. Mm. So when you read it, you should feel a bit triggered and you, you're not sure if it's cool or not or if it will be funny or not. That's a really exciting place to work. It's also frightening. But um, often that's the place that I'm that I'm reaching for.
0: Yeah. Uh, that that's a great answer, and I think that if anyone out there is listening who wants to get into comedy, they'll learn a lot from how you've explained that just then. That that was really great. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we've I've given this film a lot of praise, and uh, as I said, I've been to multiple screenings, and everyone was raving about this film. But there were some criticisms from uh, mostly from some males, but also from some females in the audience that I spoke to about the film after. And uh, I guess their main complaint was that the film's ideals uh, can feel a bit old-fashioned in that most men nowadays do cook and clean and that household duties are much more balanced. Were you conscious of that while writing the script that younger audiences may have evolved past these things?
1: Yeah, it's really tricky because, I mean, my situation is I went off and made this film whilst my partner at home held the fort, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have two children and a house and he ran the house. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can understand where those comments will come from. But if you write a film and you try and keep all, all, all kind of sectors happy, um, it's it's possibly not going to have a lot of cut through. Yeah. The thing that what I was really interested in trying to do with this film is have the commonality around despairing about housework, not wanting to have to do the housework. And something I had observed, though, like I can hear those comments, but I will stand by this observation. There are a lot of professional, successful women out there who are still holding up that side of the bargain. Mm. Um, And that is not to say, and and that is probably talking about um, women over 40. There is this saying, and I think it rings true, Uh, you can have it all if you do it all. So um, I think the fact the film resonates with people does indicate that there is still an imbalance. But that's not 100%. Of course, it's not 100%. And I don't think the film is trying to say it's 100%. But um, what it taps into is this idea that no one likes housework. (laughs) And it doesn't mean you don't care about a clean house, though. It's just it is one of life's realities that cannot be avoided. And one of the things the movie really is interested in doing is um, looking for um, things that well, that are relatable and human. And that is one of them.
0: Yeah, uh, wonderful, wonderful response there. Um, uh, as you mentioned before, the film is produced by the, the wonderful Tanya Chambers and uh, Judy Levine. Uh, Levine. Levine. Yeah. Uh, who are both uh, they're both highly experienced and uh, respected filmmakers in their own right. I mean, Tanya's produced a ton of work, including *A Few Less Men* and *Kill Me Three Times*, and Judy has worked with people like Helen Hunt and and William H. Macy and Paul Rudd. Uh, firstly you've known Tanya for quite a while having worked with her on projects like A Few Less Men and the children's television series Itch. Uh, can you tell us about Tanya and what she brings to a film like this? She speaks very highly of you as well I just thought I'd
1: say. <laughs> uh, so I've known Tanya Chambers for a, a very long time and when I had this story idea I really felt it belonged with Tanya so I was so excited about how excited Excited she was, you know, about the film. Um, When I Tanya was um, uh, Tanya saw my first film, scoff, and I kind of felt her really connect with that film in a in in a powerful way. Um, And you know, she will say she has been tracking me, but but I think kind of first and foremost was that really good um, connection to the work. It's fantastic when, as a director, a producer creatively connects with the story that you like, the story you're telling and the way that you choose to tell it. Mm. Then I've had the chance to, you know, really kind of consolidate that relationship with Tanya by working on projects with her, such as each, you know, Tanya introduced me to that project. And then um, I was the second unit director on A Few Less Men. And when Tanya asked me if I could come along and be a part of that movie, you know, I did did kind of like a volunteer attachment for many, many weeks. Like, I, I went and hunted that opportunity down with a club. Yes. <laughs> because it meant, let's take this... I, take, I took that um, idea of working professionally with Tanya very seriously and I felt that, um, you know, she would be a really good partner and I wanted to take that as far as I could. So um, it, it was terrific to go into this film and we already had a history of going through projects together. That is... Um, That's
0: really helpful. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or cinemaaustralia.com.au. Yeah. Um, Just speaking of a few last men, then I just had a thought that was uh, directed by uh, Mark Lamprell, who I actually see some similarities between you and him in, in balancing this comedy and drama. In, in his films. Were you observing that while you were working with Mark and uh, and who were some of the other filmmakers who you drew inspiration from?
1: Um, look, I, um, I had a great simpatico with Mark. He was yeah. so generous mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I really, on A Few Less Men, I got to observe that whole process. That was a movie that brought in international cast. Yeah. Um, it was quite a big movie. There was a lot There were a lot of big logistics to get through. um, And I was, um, the fantastic thing I got to do as an attachment on that. You don't get to do this now, but um, I was a part of the whole casting process and even when we were bringing all the bit players into the room, I would film those auditions and listen to all those conversations. So, um, you know, that was terrific to just observe that. You just... um, you don't always get to do that and to hear the way mark would speak with cast of course now the way we cast is we all just you know all these videos are uploaded which is kind of great you can broaden the pool uh, but it's so much you know it's so much less personal i think Um, many years ago i met with jessica hobbs um, fantastic um, australian new zealand director who is now working in the uk and Jessica did an extraordinary thing then. She still does, of course. You know, I'm sure we all know her from her work. She's probably most known for her work on The Crown. Um, but um, the... Sorry, I just had someone at the door, but they've gone. No, that's um, what Jessica Hobbs did to television then was she bought an emotional cinematic experience to kind of... Um, television that really elevated it and works such as Love My Way. Yes. Um, so I, that's a quality in an Australian director that I've really admired. And I've seen, and I think being able to bring, you know, as a director, no matter what the genre is, the thing that I'm most interested in doing is creating an emotional connection with my audience. And it's just been that I've done that within a comedy genre that meant the comedy felt deeper than that. But I really hope to be able to work in different genres. Um, But that's the thing that drives me, first of all, is connecting to the audience.
0: Yes, yeah. Um, I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, after hearing those kind of answers, um, I, I, you spoke about casting. Then I can't see anyone other than Sally Phillips playing Gina. Uh, when was the idea of of casting Gina first thrown around, and and uh, when and how was she cast in the film? Was Was there an audition process for Gina uh, for Sally?
1: Um, if you're going to international cast, you can't really ask them to do an audition. No, you. <laughs> That's right you kind of bow down and send out your script and hope that they'll take the time to read it, you know. So um, first of all, though, you know, was the thought about, um, you know, who that, who, first of all, the thought was who that person could be. Um, and and when you think about, about often caste uh, can fall into sort of different categories such as they're a comedy actor or they're much more of a drama actor. Mm -hmm. I was super interested in sending this script to Sally because from her comedy work, I knew she was really fearless Mm -hmm. and that was the quality that I really wanted an actor to bring to the role of Gina. Um, and Sally just brought that in spades Um, and her connection to the script was really profound. You know, she really loved the script and, (laughs) um, you know, when I first met her, we just immediately launched into these um, huge conversations about what it all meant and what happens for a director is when your cast have a strong connection to the script it is so evident on screen, you know, so much of your work is done because they bring a lot with them. So yeah. um, there was so much that was exciting about Sally reading the script,
0: loving the script and then signing on. Yes. Uh, as a first-time feature filmmaker, I know you have plenty of experience behind you in the industry, but as a first-time feature filmmaker, is there ever a level of intimidation with working with someone of, of uh, Sally's, you know, quality?
1: Of course. Um, yeah all cast are different. and I think whether you're a first- time filmmaker or not, they can be it can be intimidating. Um, and I didn't know anything about i did, I didn't know a lot about Sally um, before I worked with her. And what I discovered was someone who was so generous and respectful and open um it was just extraordinary now i think in any interview what will happen is a director will always say good things about the cast yes (laughs) what's going to happen but what happened on this film and i think you can tell that i'm being truthful because i believe it has turned up on screen Mm -hmm. is sally kind of set that tone you know you have an international cast member fly in they can either sort of throw their weight around a bit, or they can really lean into the work. And Sally absolutely did lean into the work. And, you know, like I have this little example, um, and and she was so generous. But, for example, Josh Thompson, um, his first shooting day, who plays Ben, terrific Maori Tongan character, his first shooting day he has this um particular sort of like a he has a dance routine he has to do it's one of the first things he shot so he turns up on set we're halfway through the shoot and he has to crack out this kind of pretty big scene and he doesn't know any of us we're not all friends yet it's just really intimidating so he begins you know a bit of a rehearsal I gave him one pass then I said oh Josh I just have to roll on this but um He begins, and Sally just happened to be there, waiting for her scene later. And she saw it. And in true Sally form, she has she's this tiny woman with the biggest laugh that will just feel not just a room, feel like a house. She's got a huge laugh. She does this ginormous laugh and then gets down on both knees and does this kind of bow down to Josh who was happening, who was just being so funny. And you know what that did for Josh? He said it was terrifying because he was a huge Sally Phillips fan and suddenly there she was on her knees bowing down while he's trying to do this huge scene. But the generosity in that that, um, gesture. So she, you know, she just um, was so interested in buoying people up and she just, I think what she did is she would enjoy all the offerings that people would make. Sally would love them. Um, and so that infiltrates the whole set and suddenly mm. the space feels a bit joyful, yes. a bit light and a bit joyful yes. and when that happens is when people I think can um, drop into their performances in a different way Yes. Um, yeah. but also kind of step into that, she set that onset tone and I will always be grateful for that.
0: Oh, wonderful. Um, I guess as far as casting goes, there is this extra character in the film. And it's this collective of nude women who play such an important role in a film as background characters in the change rooms of a swimming club where, where a large portion of this film is set. Um, I really appreciated the effort that went into this group of women extras whose body sizes and shapes are all so different and wonderful. Uh, you could have easily chosen to have an empty change room other than the core characters. Can you tell about us? The de- uh, can you tell us a bit about the decision to fill that space with these beautiful extras and uh, the gathering of all these women? Because I assume mm. they were all all the same people each time.
1: They they pretty much were, and I would have loved to have had more. Um, but you know, we had this reality where the water that came out of the shower was cold.
0: Oh yes, yes, so, and
1: it also <laughs> made a huge noise. So I would have loved to kind of have a wall of, you know, naked flesh of all sorts of women. But these, um, so they're in there. We worked very hard to get them there. I would have sort of quadrupled it yeah. if I could. Um, yeah, we we cast that really carefully. Some of those women are my friends. So some of them, you know, I had one friend in her 50s who was like desperate to, no, not desperate, who who I, I put the word out. So I, I created a um, um, a document that explained what we were trying to do mm. and asked if anyone would like to come forward. And I had been talking about this film and some women were involved. I made a little tiny promotional trailer when I was um, in development to sort of try and articulate what I was doing. And this involved all these women leaping off a jetty. And some of those women said, we'll come back for your film. Mm. And I said, yes, but that that time, it won't just be bathers. I need nudies. Mm. Um, and so some of them were like, that's fine, I'm going to go nude for you. So for some women there, they just felt like they wanted to own who they were and go on screen with that. Some wanted to do it and then eventually realised that CEO of a company they probably couldn't. So there were plenty who, for that reason, couldn't. Um, And then we also used some life models. So women who have interesting shaped bodies and who are used to being nude and who therefore kind of made it feel comfortable and normal. Um, but there was also a pass, I started with a much bigger pool of women who who went, yes, we'll be nude in the film. And then I just had to put them through a few checks, like, do you understand what that means? That if you're going to do that, you know, once the film is made, it's out of our hands. So yes. some of them went, oh, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. I suppose I probably shouldn't, you know, it'll be on a streamer at some point in cinemas. I probably don't want to be naked. Mm-hmm. It's so... Um, was a bigger pool that eventually got smaller. Um, to just for me to look after it, to make sure that everyone was um, genuinely understanding what it meant to go naked on screen and then comfortable
0: with that. Um, the film was shot in Fremantle, which is your hometown. Can you tell us a bit about shooting in Fremantle? And uh, I mean, this city is made for movies. It's so it's such a beautiful city. Uh, there's a certain magic to it. Uh, can you tell us a bit about Fremantle and your emotional connection to Leighton Beach in particular?
1: Yeah, I was so excited to film in Fremantle. One of the first things I did um, even before we built up our whole production process was have meetings with the council to say I want to bring this story to Fremantle Um, and they have a fantastic film policy Mm. and were able to partner with us in that way. But the other thing we did was um, I spent a whole day where we, myself and producer Tanya and production designer Emma Fletcher, we drove up and down the coast and we went into every single Um, surf club change room that exists in the Perth metro area we have such a sprawling metro area it took a really long time Um, and I I always knew I wanted it to be Leighton and I was so excited when that change room for us is fantastic it's you know it's a really good size I love the textures of the concrete and the the austerity of that so that you could let the bodies rule the space not the background but the other thing about filming at Leighton is um uh, when I lived overseas, uh, when I remember coming home and walking on Leyton Beach and I wasn't sure if I was going to live back in Australia or go back overseas and I had such a profound sense of homecoming walking on that beach. I grew up swimming at Leyton Beach um, and that I stayed in Australia, I really felt my sense of place. So to then have my first film filming at Leyton uh, was personally really important to me.
0: Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It, it's so magic on screen. It, it, it's an, Actually, it's like another character in itself as well, just like those uh, women in the background. Um, I've got one last question before we wrap this up. Uh, I was elated to hear that you were directing season two of Afterlife recently. It's easily one of my favourite series at the moment, and Eric Thompson's East and West is such a great character. Uh, what can you tell us about working on that series and, and that experience?
1: Uh, so it's um, it's aftertaste. Yes. Um, not not afterlife.
0: Oh, sorry. Did especially. I say afterlife? Sorry, I meant aftertaste. Well, sorry. I can
1: I can only comment on that because I've made that mistake too yes. sometimes. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Look, this has been really exciting for me. I have just wrapped on shooting second season of Aftertaste, mm. um, and you know when you come in as series director but second season, it really means stepping into something that is already there and then. You know, finding that place where I can bring my sensibilities to the storytelling and to the story. Um uh, that's been um, you know, that that elevates it in all the right ways. Um, it was great to work with Eric again. Eric was the person who introduced me to the aftertaste team. Excellent. Um so terrific to step on board with an you know, with an actor where you already have where you have already worked together. That's um that really helps things. When Eric came to work on How to Please a Woman, he arrived sort of towards the tail end of the shoot. So he was really thrown into that production process and she just shines in the film. It was fantastic. Yeah. So it's been amazing to also be in, uh, step onto a set with a whole different crew where I didn't know anyone at all mm. um, and completely different teams. And I just have to say, it is so exciting To be creating all these new creative partnerships and collaborations, finding comedy within different teams, trying to look after the drama within the comedy, those same challenges, but um, just the creative connections have been terrific. And Aftertaste 2 has an extraordinary cast, so it's been um, a real privilege to be able to work with them all
0: yeah, and I guess with the cast, they're not the same people that you see on TV all the time. Uh, Susan Pryor is amazing, and uh, the lead actor uh, the lead actress, I can't remember her name right now, but everyone's so fantastic in in this show.
1: Um, they are, and you know when I say it's a privilege of not just being polite, it's mm-hmm. extraordinary. Yes. The, um I just think the cast in aftertaste are um, uh, you know they have re- you know really some of Australia's best in there, so it's been terrific to just um. You know, all have fun together. It is a mad challenge. It's always going to be a mad challenge, um, but just to find new ways of having fun on set and with cast has been has um, been great.
0: Um we've got four minutes left here and I just wanted to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests on this podcast. It's the final mm-hmm. question that I usually end with and that is uh, have you seen any Australian films recently that have really stood out for you that, that you've really enjoyed? I know you've been busy, uh, you know, working so hard but uh, just wondering if there's anything in particular that stood out for you.
1: I think, you know, there were a year ago now that we had um Penguin Bloom yes, come yes. out In and the Dry. dry. Yes. And what was really exciting was seeing the audience uptake on the Dry. Yes. Um, and Penguin Bloom is such an Australian story. Yes. Um, I, I had read the book of Penguin Bloom, so I was really excited to um, see that adaptation. Um, I'm super looking forward to seeing, and I still have not seen Leah, because it's not out yet, Leah Purcells, oh, yes, Drover's the dro- Wife. Uh, Drover's um, wife yes. I'm really excited about seeing that and really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Um, uh, Renee, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you, and I really appreciate you sh- sharing some of those stories. I know that our listeners will appreciate it as much as I do. Um, congratulations on this film, and thanks again for joining the Cinema Australia podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me and also um, for our um, experience at WA Film Festival. I know that, um, you know, I couldn't be there, but I heard so much about it being really positive night, so um, that just, yeah, that sounded really exciting. But thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.